You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Is the U.S. economy headed for a soft landing or are investors too complacent about inflation and the Fed's determination to rein it in? Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Daily Briefing. Harry Melandri, advisor at MI2, is here with us today to help us sort through the inflation data and the market's kind of choppy reaction to it. Hi, Harry. Hi, Maggie. Great to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. So we had a PPI number that came in today, a little bit lower than expected, really kind of mirroring what we saw with the CPI number. Um, we also had the less talked about U.S. jobless claims. They were rising again. What are you thinking about the U.S. economy right now? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a broad question. <laughs> um, but so on the economy, uh, the economy is slowing. Uh, it's definitely there's, there's little doubt about that. Whether it's slowing at a at, at, at a, the pace that would reduce inflation and and get the Fed off off the market's back is a different matter. I don't I don't really think I don't I don't believe in the happy ever after happy ending uh, here. I, I I just can't see how the slowdown is going to be sufficiently deep without additional delivered hikes to satisfy the Fed. So, because yeah. what seemed to happen, and I don't know if tell me if this is this is what what it looked like to you, but and it can be confusing because we seem to have a situation when we saw the the easing. And by the way, it's you know the the sort of year over year numbers are still very high, but it's 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 decelerating. Everyone thought, oh, okay, inflation's going down. We're going to have a you know a recession, but it's going to all happen in a condensed enough fashion that the Fed's going to be able to pivot, and that recession will be will look something like a soft landing, like the the kind of perfect track. And we know the Fed has a, a terrible track record on that, but that seemed to be what the sense was coming through yesterday. Today, it looks like people are rethinking that a little bit. But you know, what what do we you know what is it that you think people are grappling over? What where is the disagreement? Why do we see this sort of knee jerk reaction in everything? So I think the first observation I'd make is that the the best money managers in the world are probably mostly at the beach right here <laughs> right now. Um, so a large amount of the decision making capacity of this market is choosing not to make a decision, mm. and and. That's kind of August markets are always thin. August markets are always choppy. I'm glad it hasn't been even thinner, even choppier, because they can get really nasty. Um, so that's one observation. 
Um, a second observation is that uh, the pain trade for this market, and particularly the professionals, is higher. Um, the longshore equity guys, I, I think they did a great job navigating the fall, the decline in stocks. Not so great at getting any exposure to this kind of rally. And I'm I'm just watching uh, the Wall Street bets guys. Um, I, I don't really follow that as often as I should. Those guys are really sharp, right? Do not think of these people as retail. That ain't retail. That's that's sharp money and with a big retail following. Um, they found some shorts I had on in my personal account, and. Luckily, luckily, these are not huge trades, so they didn't tear my legs off or anything. But I had uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. I was short that. Um, I, I personally think it's a dead company, but maybe I haven't been in recently. It's just an opinion. Uh, but I, that thing ran up 40% or something. Um, August market, big short base. Great idea, guys. I'm, I'm with you. I see why you went for it. Uh, the pain trade, I think, for the hedge fund managers and for uh, a good block of real money is higher. Then they don't have their full allocation. Wow, that's really interesting. You know, it's funny that you brought up that because we have been, and it's been puzzling. We've been getting questions from from viewers on that. You know, what do you make of the fact that people are in these meme stocks again? I think people are looking at it as as some kind of sentiment indicator, or is it is it some sort of risk on indicator? Um, from what you're saying, it's just some really savvy people taking a look at where there is, you know, an imbalance or an opportunity. Tommy Thornton tweeted out something to that effect um, today and said, "If but I think on the opposite side of this, if you miss the downside short trade with all the garbage stocks in the last year, the good news is you're going to get a second chance. Like That's people right. Are just, yeah. <laughs> people are just looking at this like, I can't believe it, scratching their heads in this, you know, what is a really difficult environment, as you just described, that we have this kind of meme thing going. It was easier to understand when it was a raging bull market and everything was going up. What do you what do you think it what are you thinking about this? I mean, is this is this gonna sort of lure a lot of people in for some pain again or uh you know if you have them by a particular part of their bodies, their hearts and minds will eventually follow. So uh yeah, it could force people out of trades. Um it's, I think, me personally, I don't buy it. I, I was chatting just now. I, I do a podcast too. Um, and I was just chatting to a technician, a guy called Axel Kibar. He was a, he's a fantastic technician. And uh, I hadn't realized that we're near pivots in a whole bunch of interesting places. So look, I, I can always be wrong. My mother, if she was still around, would tell you, oh, yeah, he can definitely be wrong. So, don't don't be at all surprised about this. Me personally, I'm bearish. I'm bearish risk. I'm bearish risk because I have a whole bunch of Fed watching friends from other jobs I've done in the past. My Fed watching contacts are telling me Fed means business. Rates are going to three, three and a half, probably three and a half. The uh, market's just about right in where they think rates are going. But if inflation doesn't come down in a timely fashion, the Fed will do more because Fed officials don't want to be embarrassed. Nobody wants to be the new Arthur Burns. Sorry, Mrs. Burns and other Burns relatives. So um, with that in mind, if we have inflation above where the Fed's want, Fed wants it, we can get more hikes than are currently priced. Mm. Um and what I'm also being told is the notion that we should cut rates 
they will cut rates soon afterwards. And we've got like uh, 60 basis points nearly of cuts priced into 2023 um, after we peak in March. People, when I talk to people about it, they resist that notion. The mm. idea isn't that the Fed's going to keep jacking up rates forever, but the Fed will do something akin to putting them where they think roughly they should be, like mm. they think neutral at three and a half, maybe a little higher than that, and then leave them there. Leave them mm. there to squeeze out some of the spec and to, 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 to soften up this economy. And, you know, labor markets are tight. I, I see it around me. I don't know if you see it as well. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, this is where, uh, so just pause for one second. The podcast Harry does is the next big trade because I know people are going to try to find it. So that, because the idea that we're at a pivot point on many things is super interesting. So I myself want to hear what Axel had to say. So it's the next big trade. You can find it wherever you find your podcast. Um, And you know, Harry started out working at the Bank of England. So, and, it, and that's just the beginning of his um, long career. So when he says he, you know, has a lot of people who follow central banks, he's not kidding. Um, do you think, and uh, in, in the on the labor market point, though, I know that you you moderate with um, macro insiders with Raul and Julian, and they're always saying, and Raul's always saying, labor market's a lagging indicator. It is a lagging indica- indicator, but it's it. You know, I would argue that despite the fact that it's a lagging indicator, it's embarrassing for central bankers here and now to have 8% inflation, 8.5% inflation, Mm -hmm. and to have a labor market super tight uh, with rates here. Um, So they need to raise rates. They need to tighten financial conditions. And you know, equity markets rallying doesn't do anything to tighten financial conditions. Financial conditions are way too loose relative to the real real economy's performance and inflation. This doesn't compute, if you will. It's not consistent. And every time the stock market rallies, that happens. They're kind of working against what the Fed is trying to do. You know, Harry, I haven't, it's really interesting. I haven't, we, everyone's been so fixated, fixated on rates. Will they hike 75.50? How long will they continue hiking? What's happening with quantitative tightening? I mean, no one's been talking about that. Is that contributing to tighter financial conditions? Is that a lever they have to operate in this environment? So incrementally, it will be. It's only just starting. Mm. Right? It's only just starting. And I've forgotten the run rate for uh, for QT. Um, for some reason, something like six, 90 billion a month rings a bell. Yeah. You know, and after a while, 90 billion here, 90 billion there, eventually adds up to real money. Um, I think I'm very concerned about risk markets despite the rally and as i said technically we could pivot i could reach stops and decide you know what you don't know what's going on get out but i'm because that's qt is happening simultaneously with much higher rates and simultaneously with issues surrounding uh uh, bank ratios bank risk ratios like slrs so my understanding is banks will have to lighten up by about 90 billion um risk-weighted assets uh, by year by year end, or is it maybe by March of uh, 2023? 
none of this is particularly bullish. Now, the one th- my one caveat is when I'm looking at signs of stress, I see stress in the real estate market. And I, I don't think that's difficult to spot. I think a lot of guys are probably better briefed than me on, on what's going on in real estate. I see stresses in the private equity market. Some of that pressure will have come off. But most of all, I see stresses in the emerging markets. I see stresses outside of the U.S. Um, yeah, this this is something that we've talked about a lot. And for um, our regular viewers and members, uh, you'll hear people all the time talk about the dollar wrecking ball, right? The U.S. dollar has been so right. strong. You're starting to see strains in emerging markets. I spoke with Mark Mo- Mobius, a longtime emerging market investor, and he, I think, sort of painted the dilemma that people find themselves in when they're trying to figure out directionally what's happening um, with equity markets, with markets, and and including those in emerging markets. Let's have a listen to what he said, and then we'll talk on the other side. Sure. Well, you must remember that we're we're now really in a bear market. Uh, the market, as you know, hit uh, 30% down, depending on what index you're looking at. So uh, usually in such cases, there are opportunities. There's no question. It's a good opportunity to be looking at stocks that may be selling at very low uh, prices. So, uh, yeah, I would say uh, it would be a good idea to start nibbling. Let's put it that way. But uh, I also feel that there's a chance for the other shoe to drop, so to speak, because Mm -hmm. the Fed will definitely have to raise rates more and more. You know, the playbook is that uh, the interest rates have to go higher than inflation. So with inflation now at about 9%, uh, that's where interest rates have to go. So in that case, um, a lot of companies will be hurting. Uh, the housing market will be hit. So all of these factors are still in play. Uh, but the market has, in some ways has anticipated that kind of movement. Uh, so I would say it's a good idea to be nibbling but not put everything in. Now, it's it's probably important to point out because we just got a little snippet there. The full interview is available on the platform. And I think you, you need to really watch the whole thing to get context because um, Mobius is a, a, long to- a long-term investor. His time horizon is long. So when he's talking about starting to nibble, you know, he's, he's looking years out. Um, and he has a bottoms-up approach, which is interesting. And I didn't really know that about him. And so those factors matter when he's talking about, yeah, you can start nibbling. But I think, and then he goes on to describe what is pretty horrible in the short term. So I think that's important to keep in mind. He's very concerned about Taiwan, some fascinating comments about Taiwan and China, um, and also about crypto. There's a wild debate raging on the exchange right now. Feel free to chime in or on Twitter um, because he he, he, he loves digital assets, but does not have positive things to say about Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, So, you know, go check that out. But Harry, so, so, you know, he kind of presented the both sides of the coin there. Um, what are you watching in emerging markets that has you concerned? Uh, my positions. So, <laughs> um, so I'm up to my. I've got a load of uh, RG uh, restructured sovereign debt. Uh, enough, enough for my wife to ask me about it occasionally. Um, and that stuff has been crushed. Absolutely crushed. I think it's cheap, personally, but you know, I make mistakes, um, and uh, this may well be one of them. But it's if you look around. All over the America, like Nigerian sovereign debt. I know that it's, we were talking off piste when we talk about Nigerian uh, mm. government bonds, but Nigerian dollar debt that was trading at fourteen percent too. Nigeria's got a twenty percent debt to GDP ratio. That's stupid. 
So why? And it, you know, apparently they have oil. Rumor has it. So um, I, I don't. You know, you can see that there's a lot of stress on uh, the balance sheet of EM investors. Um, they are not carrying the paper happily. Um, and I think that's because a lot of people who would be naturally carry this paper are up to the are struggling to get hold of dollars. Um, I have uh, friends who uh, talk to Asian investors, bigger Asian investors, and they have been reporting uh, significant stresses in obtaining dollar financing for non-US entities. Mm. Um, significant people paying way above what you might think of as the right price for do- dollar financing. Uh, to carry them through, and some of this might reflect. Uh, if I were to, if you were to say to me, guess what's causing that? I'd say that West Coast, maybe uh, Asian entities who have clients on the West Coast of the U.S. are struggling a bit to 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 fulfill orders or receive payments. Maybe their clients have stopped buying as much mm-hmm. because of the private equity slowdown. And some of those clients have at the margin, some of our tech giants are hiring a little less, spending a little less. So, from, so, so maybe it's to do with that. But generally speaking, the dollar rallying and dollar rates going up makes it hard to get hold of dollar financing if you're offshore. Yeah. I I, th- I think you talked to Jeff Snyder, didn't you, for for your podcast as well? And he's yeah. he's always focused on collateral scarcity and you know the concerns in the system. Um, it can be hard to get your head around, but you know worth taking a dive in. And I'm super interested in that conversation. I want to I want to get a couple questions in because we we have them coming in. Um, and and G Media, I think that you're asking a question that is kind of how we started. Um, which is, hi, Maggie, could you ask Harry what the chance, what are the chances of a range-bound market here with S&P 500 at a 38 to 4,200 range and oil 90 to 110 for some months and inflation still high, but getting less bad slowly? It's kind of that soft landing. I don't think we want to call it Goldilocks, but it's kind of that like, you know, that scenario everyone's hoping for, but it seems like it, there's a pretty narrow path for that, Harry. I don't know why they'd be hoping for it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if you have stocks and you don't like the idea they might go down, sell them. If you don't have them, don't you want them to go down? So, um, but is True. it possible? Yeah, it it really is possible. Um, it's not my core scenario because I don't believe in soft landings. I'm an old man. You can kind of tell by looking at me. Um, I haven't seen many soft landings. I really haven't. Right. And um, for us to get a soft landing, one of the things you have to assume is that inflation is going to cooperate and go straight back in its box. Well, observation number one about stocks is that with 10% inflation, stocks got 10% cheaper in real terms. So you got a 10%. At one point, we were down to maybe 25, 30%. So all in, you were down 30, you know, 35, 40%. That's not a bad discount. And I can see why the market might repudiate that level and come back up. Um, even here, they will trade, you know, with a ten percent discount because of inflation, and they are real assets. So the under, most of these companies have something, have a factory or something which should retain value. They even have debt against it, which means they'll benefit from the inflation in some if the debt is fixed, is fixed rate. So that's one observation about why we might just chop wood at these levels. It's definitely not my core scenario because I'd say there's probably more spec in this market than meets the eye. Um, and generally, that gets has to get squeezed out. And more speculation. I, Who do you think is yeah. is, is it is it retail 
Uh, is it because people had been thinking that professionals are out of the market, equity market, but retail has hung in there. High net worth individuals have hung in there. Right. So that's definitely true, particularly high net worth. And I think high net worth may have been funding some of those, may have a levered book. I, I have this sneaking suspicion from some of the anecdotes I've heard that if you had, if you're a, an average American high net worth individual um, like me, actually, I'm not that high net worth, but never mind. I could be higher. I could be higher. Now. You can find so, out about that in the podcast we talked yeah, about. We talked about right. some of Harry's best and worst trades in my that's life right. before trades. It's fascinating. Um, but uh, I've certainly both seen and heard and talked to other people who've suggested these trades to me, where you you take your equity book and use it to finance real estate purchases. Mm. Uh, people have done that. Uh, people have encouraged me, and I have done some of these trades, to go into private equity in the last three to four years. Um, not all of those trades look so smart right now. Um, I've done it. I don't see why other people wouldn't. And I, I was resistant to it because it felt late cycle already. You don't want to do private equity late cycle. So I would guess that if I've done it, other people have done it. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's an easy thing to do. It's, it made sense. People could give you a great story as to why you should do it. If you do private equity, you're getting in at levels at rate at multiples, which are better than the public market. Not as, not as, as better as they should have been, not as cheaper as they should have been, but a better level. There was a great story for it. It's not difficult to think that maybe there's a bunch of high net worth individuals who are a little bit over their skis. And I definitely have seen anecdotes about Rolexes coming out. I, secondhand Rolex prices have been dropping. Secondhand, you know, watches have been coming down. Mm. Light, light airplanes, small boats. These are coming out. There are all sorts of good reasons why. I wonder. So, I like it. Harry's, Harry's indicators, Harry's spec indicators. Well, you know, we, we try, right? You try to see what's going on, but whether, whether that's successful is another matter. So Sean from YouTube has a great question. How does Harry think about long bonds for a recession trade? Is it better to own long bonds or short the NASDAQ? Uh, um, some of this will depend on your tactical approach to trading, right? So if you are, uh, it's hard to get shorts right. You have to time it just right. It's much easier to get longs right, and, and you don't have to time it just right. Um, so in that sense, if you think you're a great trader, then being short, short NASDAQ is a much more aggressive trade than being long, long bonds. Being long, long bonds, it's, got, it's a positive carry trade. It's a convex trade. Um, and I suspect there's a whole bunch of pension funds that have to have them. But once again, you have to believe that inflation will come into come down and come down to something below 3%. Otherwise, you're getting a zero real yield. Why, why are you doing that? Um, so th that's, for me, the conundrum in looking at those trades. Um, and if you are, if you do think inflation is coming down, yeah, I, actually, I think I prefer to do the long end trade to do long bonds. But then I'm a, I've spent most of my career in bonds, right? Mm. I've lost loads of money being short equities over the years. I've, I've lost You're very little being long that. bonds. Right. You're not alone on that. I think we had a lot of people just recently call it a face ripping short squeeze, right? I mean, a lot of you're very right. The short trade has been really tough for people as we have just seen. Face ripping. It sounds bad, doesn't it? It, it does, doesn't sound awful. Yeah. It's not, every time someone says it, I shudder. Um, yeah. Harry, you, you emailed me something about the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, yeah. Is this another so, one of your indicators? What, do you, what, it, is what an, it is an indicator. Off, 
me and the my wife and, and my wife's family we all went off to celebrate multiple birthdays at the cheesecake factory don't at me i know i know but um but we're, we're not fancy people what can i say so um plus we we do like a cheesecake and uh we're in the line and we, we, we've got table for 10 please we're told it will be an hour and a half so we're like an hour and a half this is five o'clock how could it possibly be an hour and a half to wait for a table midweek on a monday for an hour and, a half? and the answer that you know came out is just that that's that's how it is we look around the restaurant there's a whole section of the thing that's empty the restaurant is half empty so we come back saying what about all those tables look at them and they said we don't have any service for them mm-hmm. we don't have any service so there's no point us seating you there because we couldn't serve you and it didn't make me feel that the labor market is loose right the place was humming there's loads of people waiting for a table it's an hour and a half and they don't have service for 25 percent of the restaurant um that to me strikes me as indicative of something indicative perhaps that the fed has more to do yeah and and the same for when they're shoving you out at nine o'clock because they don't have anyone to stay late or you know some some ridiculously hour. I mean, I'm getting old myself. And so I'm happy usually to go. I'm on the ARP, you know. I'm, I'm already in bed by nine, Maggie. We're Drink all- a three, <laughs> eat at five, bed by eight. Thank you. But I'm not going to move to Florida. Um, right. But but really, th- things are are not the hours you see everywhere, signs that the hours have been amended. And it's not because of COVID anymore. It's because of labor shortages. Well, so you're right be, about that. It may be both, right? So the labor shortages may reflect something about COVID. Um, I know it can be obnoxious to talk about. I'm not really interested in pandemics or, or politics around pandemics. I'm only interested in trading, really, and making money. Uh, but uh, what interests me is the idea that a whole bunch of people above the age of 50 have decided, nope, working is not for me. Yeah. Um, good for them, by the way. It may be a sensible decision, but uh, not good for the labor market and not good for a whole bunch of lower margin activities, lower margin businesses. So. Places like the Cheesecake Factory may may be struggling to find labor, um, and maybe that's why. But I I couldn't tell you. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. So Yo-Yo is asking, where do you see interest rates for two or three year going? So I, my first observation about rates is I suspect the market and Mr. Mobius, the market is closer to the truth than Mr. Mobius. We saw that clip, and uh, uh, Mark Mobius, who, by the way, has been around for as long as I can actually remember, uh, he, he's a, a legend uh, in EM investing. Um, but uh, I don't think rates are going to 9%. I don't think the Fed believes rates will go to 9%. I don't, I don't think they worry about real rates being negative in the first place. And I think they believe that the inflation rate will come down anyway. So there are multiple reasons why we're not, rates are not going to 9%, certainly not in one iteration. We will have a cycle before we go back up again. So uh, observation number one, where are rates going? The, 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 the uh, Fed Fund's futures are suggesting we peak in March of, of 2023 at 364. Um, 
that strikes me as perfectly feasible. The thing that I really disagree with is the notion that they come down 60 basis points by year end. Um, what the guys I know who speak to Fed officials are saying is more likely is this idea of optimistic, um, op- op- opportunistic, sorry, opportunistic uh, disinflation. And that's where the Fed hikes rates to where it thinks a longer term neutral is and then crosses its fingers and hopes something comes up to make, to build a bit of extra slack in the economy, which they can respond to slowly. So I think it's, uh, if I wanted to put on a bet on rates uh, going up, I'd probably uh, pay rates at the back end of, sorry, the back end of the ED surface. So it's like 2024, 2023 and say, you know what? It ain't coming down as quick as you think it is. They ain't going to do that. So uh, you that, say ED, are you talking euro dollar? Euro dollars, forgive me. Yes. I'm, I'm chock full of, uh, of jargon. Need to work on that. But yeah, the, the, I think, that the rate cuts price in the market uh, do not currently reflect Fed thinking. So the Fed actually has to be wrong for those rate cuts to materialize. Um, And really, they have to be very wrong because they have to see a collapse in the real economy when you still don't have as many workers as you should have. You'd have to see jobs drop away. Yeah, everything's a bit backward looking, but it ain't slowing down fast enough right now. Plus. so I, I read a piece by Zoltan Poznar. I recommend Zoltan to anyone who can get hold of his work. Um, this isn't really his core skill, which is mostly about the same stuff that Jeff Snyder looks at, which is, you know, mm-hmm. short-term liquidity, bank, banks and stuff like that. But he was talking, he made the point, which I think is intuitively obvious, that actually this is a wartime economy. It's just that we are not directly participating. And uh, in a war situation, you always get inflation. You always get inflation. It's always inflationary. So, uh, you know, every time you watch those videos where you see uh, huge amounts of Russian gasoline jet fuel blowing up, remember, <laughs> there's a shortage of, of jet fuel. There's a shortage of diesel in the world. There's a very expensive uh, relative uh, distillates at this point in time. So uh, I, I think, if you know, Mr. Putin is in a position to affect our inflation here. And there's, it's you have to be a little heroic to say, you know what, inflation's peaked and it's coming down significantly. I think it probably has peaked. I don't think it's coming down anywhere near as quick as people who are thinking the Fed's cutting rates think. Mm. Is there is this a situation where you're mostly in cash? I mean, does does is there anything that looks attractive here in this environment? If that's if that's your base case. So I see. I didn't sell you on the notion of uh, of restructured Argentinian. Government debt. Actually, I'm I'm holding to the end, but Ralph is thrilled because he often asks about emerging markets, and finally, someone can answer that question. He, let, let's get to that. He's saying, "What what do you like and not like in Latin America?" You know, I like a lot of stuff in Latin America. I'm trying to be picky, and you know, the problem is that trades are all very correlated, so um, you have to be a little careful. I do like Brazilian equity. I think it's it's cheap. Um, I think. Uh, dollar-denominated sov debt in places like Ecuador, generally speaking, like Argentina, the reason I like that trade is because it's been restructured once. Um, it's hard to restructure twice. And you know what? They restructured it in such a way that the, the upfront coupons are really low. So why would you default on a debt burden, which is currently low and scheduled to stay low for the next two to three years? So that's why I made the mistake I made 
<laughs> but uh, I, I don't know if this it, now it's cheap enough. But I think generally all of these EM assets are kind of cheap, and it's kind of in line with a comment that Mark Mobius made that you could add to these assets and on a ten-year view that they'll perform, and you'd be glad you had them on a ten-year view. That does not mean you'd be glad you had them on a one-year view. That's <laughs> the thing, isn't it, Harry? Because at first, when you when when we heard that, you're like, "This," I viscerally disagree with him. But it turns out that in some respects, you don't. And it's that time horizon that makes all the difference. Long yeah. time. That's why he's saying nibble, but you got to be a, have a long time horizon. You know as what he I, does. I Short wasn't term, even. He sees a mess still. Yeah, I, look, I wasn't even sure that it is a bear market. I think we're we are still in the bear market move, but another hundred and fifty S and P points. It might, you know, it might not look like a bear market technically anymore. We might have gone over a two hundred day moving average. So I'm I'm cautious. Right, I, I don't want to have huge bets here, but I'm I'm definitely I think we're still intact on a bear market hypothesis. I think what we've seen here is a pain trade that's forcing people out of positions, and it's easy for people like the Wall Street bet guys to ramp these and you know in a thin August market. That's my uh, central uh, tendency or core hypothesis. It wouldn't be the first one that was wrong. If that's right, some of those puts that I own may well go in the money. It might not be true, and they may have maybe dust. Who knows? Um, uh, but I would with withhold judgment until I see what the Fed delivers and where the Fed's going to be. And I, I, my suspicion is there's more pain to come before it gets better. Um, but no, do not own 100% cash. That means you've lost 10% anyway. Mm. So if if the question is, like, if, are you super bearish, bearish enough to own only cash? I'm never bearish enough to own only cash, right? Who, who could possibly, what do you want me to do with my pension, right? I, I, I can't just own cash. It's, it's not, it's no way to be. Yeah. And that's why I think so many of us uh, ask question, ask these questions because, you right. know, everyone is trying to grow, grow that money, right? Harry, it's always so much fun to do the show with you. Thank you so much. Oh, my, it's my pleasure. And it's, I, I agree. It's, I, I, have, I have a lot of fun every time too, Maggie, every time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Andreas Steno Larson is going to be back tomorrow with Raul Powell. So get your questions ready and tune in same time. And in the meantime, enjoy your evening. Good luck and take care. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com.